0: Well, you can turn to the other side of your bulletin and find our scripture text for this afternoon. We are considering Luke chapter 11 as we continue on in our series, uh, considering the Gospel of Luke. And this afternoon, we will look at verses 14 to 23, following the section we've heard the last two weeks of Jesus' explanation of prayer, giving us the form of the Lord's Prayer and the incentive, the promises that draw us to come to Him in prayer. So let us give attention now to the reading of God's Word, beginning of verse 14. Now He was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he, attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Thus far the reading of God's word. Well, I wonder as, if you've ever, as you've read through the, the Gospels and the Scriptures, if you've ever considered, as many people have, uh, what is it exactly that Jesus' miracles mean? Uh, his casting out of demons. Uh, they're certainly not infrequent occurrences in the Gospels. Uh, they're, they're essential to His ministry. So we read throughout the Gospels, we see these events over and over again. and So we must consider what, what, what do these miracles and casting out of demons mean? Uh, What do they signify? And even more in our passage, we find at the beginning, some people attacking Jesus because of His miracles. As He casts out, we see in verse 14, the the demon out of the uh, the mute man. Uh, We find those questioning and attacking Jesus. Attacking by what authority He comes to do these things. And in fact, saying that the authority that He has to cast out demons comes from Satan himself. The prince of demons. So, in this context, Jesus in our passage goes on to expound and explain the authority that he has uh, and and the purpose for which he does these things. So, it is important for us to consider what Jesus has to say for us in this passage. I'd like for us to consider this passage this evening by asking and answering three questions. Uh, First, we want to consider by what authority does Jesus cast out demons? Secondly, we want to consider what do these miracles, these these acts, these wondrous acts, what do they mean or signify? What do they mean? And thirdly, we want to consider what do they mean for us? So first, we will consider by what authority? Secondly, what do they mean? And finally, what do they mean for us? So let's consider first, by what authority? You see, this is the initial question that, that really controls the rest of the passage, In verse 14, we find Jesus casting the demon out of the mute man, and we see that there are several different responses to this action. Some are marveling. Others are seeking a sign from him. They're skeptics and seeking to test him. But we see the other response is those who claim and blaspheme against the Lord Jesus Christ, claiming that the authority he has comes from Beelzebul, from Satan, the prince of demons. And so it raises the question that Jesus begins to answer, what, what authority does he have? Uh, what power is at work when we see these, these actions of the Lord Jesus Christ? And he goes on to answer this by asking and answering several questions. He, he asks a, a line of questions to bring out uh, and unfold the foolishness and even the wickedness of the claims that they have given. So negatively, Jesus says that his his power does not come from the source that they claim that it does. And notice how he does this. He does this in two ways. First, he shows the logic of the claims that they're making. The, the foolishness of claiming that he would cast out demons by the power of the prince of demons himself. So look again, he says at verse 17. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And a divided household falls. You see, he, he seeks to show the foolishness of their claim. If he's casting out demons by the power of Satan himself, then this is a, a kingdom or a household fighting against one another. And in fact, this can't be the case, he says. No kingdom divided against itself can stand. It will be laid waste. It, it can't last. He says this, this claim that they are making makes no sense. Uh, The the words that Jesus uh, uses here, we find so often, uh, I think we can see, you've you've probably seen this in the world of of college sports. Uh, So often in in college sports, in particular states, there are uh, certain big in-state rivalries between two different schools. And uh, in these states, there are often spouses or uh, family members who have gone to either one of those schools and are now married. And uh, I've, I've often seen signs in which it says, you know, a house divided. And it'll have the two, the two pictures of the two different schools. I, I grew up a fan of the University of Louisville in Kentucky, their basketball team. And uh, we have a big rivalry with the University of Kentucky. And so often you, you find this in the state of Kentucky, rivalries and, and divided households. And I've often thought about this and, 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 and wondered, how could this even be the case? Uh, we can't stand Kentucky, and they can't stand us. How could you live in the same household together? And the conclusion I've ultimately come to is that for this to be the case, there's you simply can't be a a real die hard fan of either team. It just can't work. There's no way that this can work. An even greater way, this is what Jesus is saying here about his interactions with these who are charging him of these things. It's foolish. It, it, It can't make sense. No kingdom that works against itself can stand. If this was the case, he says, Satan would be destroying. His own kingdom. But notice the second point that Jesus makes in unfolding this logic. He says in verse 18, If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. See, Jesus picks up on the reality that there are those who are Jewish, Israelites who are casting out demons. They're praised. He says they're not questioned. And so if we receive the work that they are doing, how can we question Jesus? What, what, by what power, he says, do your sons cast out the demons? And so, he says, they will be your judges. And I think here we really see the, the, the foolishness of this unbelief that Jesus is being challenged by. Matthew Henry, the great Bible commentator, uh, commenting on this verse, says that it is gross hypocrisy to condemn that in those who reprove us, which yet we allow in those that flatter us. And so we see this this gross hypocrisy, the the foolishness of their claim. And so Jesus clearly shows His power is not that which they claim. It is not a power from Satan. So, So what is this power? What is the authority that He has that is at work in His ministry? Well, notice he, he, he says this in verse 20. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You see, the power, Jesus says, that is at work within him is, is not that power, but it is the power of God. This is, he says, the sign that the kingdom of God, and in fact, the king of this kingdom has come. God's work, God's power, he says, is at work amongst you in these things. It is the, the finger of God, His very power that is at work. And So Jesus says very clearly, this is the power of God. The kingdom has come. The King is here. And in this, He refutes the claims of those challenging Him. And So we see what, what power He has by, by virtue of, of what authority does he do those things? But secondly, we want to consider even further, what does this mean? Uh, what does it mean that he, by the power of God, being the eternal Son of God, is casting out demons? I think we see this very clearly in the parable that he gives in verses 21 and 22. Uh, this, this story of, of a strong man guarding his palace. Uh, in doing so, Jesus is, is saying that his divine authority shown in the the casting out of demons, has has a deep and profound meaning at work. When those who were there and and witnessing these events saw demons being cast out, Jesus says that there's something even more profound going on in these events. Uh, He's in a sense turning back the curtain to show all the spiritual workings behind these miracles that He is doing. And notice the way that He describes this in verses 20 and 21. He says, in essence, that there is a a kingdom war going on. There is a war between two kingdoms, two reigns, two, two rulers are battling in these events. That's what these miracles and acts of casting out demons represent. The battle, he says, is between the kingdom of Christ and between the kingdom of Satan. But notice also the way that he describes this battle. It's not a battle that's in question. It's not not a question whether Jesus' kingdom will win, but he says that it is one that Jesus has already won. It's a a one victory. And so he he describes this as as he describes this, this parable of a strong man who is guarding his house, he says. And when this strong man who is fully armed guards his palace, his goods are safe. But Jesus says there is a stronger man who will come along. One who will come and overcome this, this strong man. He will attack him and overcome him and, and take away his armor. Take away his, his spoil, the things he's trusted in. So what exactly is Jesus describing here? These images. Who is this strong man? Who is the stronger one? I think we see clearly that the strong man he is describing is Satan. It is Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that he has described earlier. And Jesus is describing the, the kingdom of Satan here and, and how this works. And notice the way that he describes Satan. He does describe Satan as a, a strong man who has a kingdom that is powerful. I think we're reminded of this in the, the great words of Martin Luther and that uh, hymn, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God, that we've we've sung just this past Lord's Day. Remember, he describes Uh, the, the character and work of Satan in this hymn in the very beginning, and he says this. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. You see, this is exactly what Jesus is saying. Satan is a powerful one. He has a powerful kingdom. He has a powerful hold on all those who are under his kingdom who are in slavery to Him under sin and death, under His power and control. This is Satan's kingdom. But notice He describes even far further as He goes on in this parable the victory of His own kingdom over Satan. You see, Jesus here describes Himself as the stronger man, the one who comes and binds Satan, attacks him and overcomes him, and therefore is able to plunder His own house. And Jesus says that this is exactly what is going on in the casting out of demons that we see. Uh, this, This event described in verse 14 at the beginning of our passage is evidence of this victory that Jesus has accomplished. He is plundering Satan's house as he casts out demons. This is actively going on. And this plundering that Jesus does is ultimately the redemption of his own people. The, the bringing of his own people out from under the bondage and slavery of, of sin and Satan and death and, and bringing them into his own kingdom. This is exactly what Jesus is describing. Uh, he is here describing himself as Martin Luther again in, in A Mighty Fortress Is Our God describes him. He says in that hymn, Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Dost ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. You see here, Jesus is claiming and telling us that he is that right man, the strong man who has come to save his people. So we ask ourselves, how is it that Jesus binds and plunders Satan? How is this event that he's describing actually accomplished? What does he do to bring about this victory? And certainly we must note several things. Uh, first, as, as one particular commentator, Dr. Brandon Crow identifies, it is by his own obedience. Uh, it's by his perfect life that he brings about this, this victory over Satan. It's important for us to understand, I think, the connection between this passage and a passage that's come earlier in Luke's Gospel, uh, particularly in Luke chapter 4, uh, where there we find Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, a passage we, we're all familiar with, Or there there is uh, this this battle, as it were, between uh, Satan and Jesus as he's being tempted in the wilderness. And we find Jesus, by his obedience, overcoming Satan. See, this victory he here describes, we see even at the beginning of his ministry. As he overcomes by his obedient life. But even more, Jesus brings about this victory by his climactic death and resurrection. Uh, It is through his death on the cross On his resurrection from the dead, from the grave, that he brings about this victory, that he defeats Satan. The apostle Paul describes this in Colossians chapter two, verses fourteen and fifteen, where he says that God saved us by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. You see, it is through Jesus' death and resurrection that He has triumphed over the rulers and authorities and Satan himself. But the finality of this victory that Jesus accomplishes is ultimately brought about at His return. When Christ in glory will return And finally bring about this victory. Again, the Apostle Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 24 through 26. He says this, Then comes the end when he, meaning Christ, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. You see, through these great acts of the Lord Jesus Christ, he tells us here that he has won the victory. He has bound the strong man and defeated Satan. But even here we must ask, but when does this, this binding and plundering happen? At what time does this happen? For here Jesus says that, that he has bound the strong man, he has overcome him, and yet we all personally know in our lives that, that Satan is very much still at work. The Apostle Peter describes this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says there, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So the question for us is when does this binding happen? When, when does this plundering that Christ describes here happen? I think we ought to understand that this is both a definitive work and a progressive work. Christ has in his obedient life and in his death and resurrection once for all defeated Satan and his kingdom. Satan's kingdom is even now defeated, and yet it is still at work. This definitive victory is progressively worked out in our lives and progressively worked out in history awaiting the final return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here Jesus describes the great victory that he has. And as Christians, I think we we ought not to miss the glory of what Jesus is here declaring. He is declaring to us the great salvation which has long been promised in the Old Testament. The great salvation which each and every one of us taste and experience daily in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he tells us, he, he casts out demons by the power of God. And he does so as a part of his great mission to bring about redemption for his people. But finally and thirdly, we want to consider what does this mean for us? What ought our response to be? There is the importance of a, de- of a response demanded, I think, by Jesus' words here. Now, Christ's victory over Satan is not uh, some abstract reality, but it is a truth that demands a response, that presses for a response From every person. Every person must respond to this reality. And Jesus says this in verse 23. Look again at verse 23. He says, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Notice the way that Jesus describes this reality. In effect, what Jesus is saying here is that in this kingdom war, there is no neutrality. There is no safe spiritual space to, to watch this kingdom war from afar. No, he says, every person is firmly implanted in either kingdom. You are either in the kingdom of Satan, under his bondage, or you are a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ and a member of his kingdom. And so here in Jesus' words, a question is pressed upon his listeners, on the crowd who were with him that day and upon us as Christians today. Uh, Whose side are we on? Uh, Whose side will you be on? Will you follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you walking in unbelief? We see this in in the the responses of the crowd uh, to Jesus' words. There are some who marvel. They're intrigued by this. There are some who blaspheme against the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are some who skeptically test Him. So the question is pressed upon them by the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Will you gather towards me? Or will you be scattered? There are only two options. And so if you're here uh, this afternoon and you have never come to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, uh, maybe you've heard the Gospel preached many times and yet never truly responded, these are words that are both troubling and yet hopeful. For here Jesus offers the way of salvation because He has bound Satan. Satan. Because he has triumphed over Beelzebub, there is the option, there is the opportunity to be transferred to his kingdom of light. So this text calls upon you to to by faith turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps many of us are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can answer this question by saying that we are on the Lord's side. We are members of his kingdom. So what does Jesus' words here mean for us? And I think this declaration of the Lord Jesus Christ is is full of of riches of grace for us as his people. So, So what should our response be to these words? Well, I think first, our response should be that of joy. We should be joyful in light of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must be joyful because this is the great redemption that Jesus has accomplished for us. His work here of of binding Satan is that work of bringing us into his kingdom. Again, the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1 describes this, and he says this, that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So if we are those who have been transferred to His kingdom and tasted of His grace, if we are those who have received redemption and the forgiveness of sins, we ought to be those who are joyful in this great redemption which Christ has given to us. But secondly, we ought to be filled with comfort in light of Jesus' words. We as Christians, even now, as we we live our Christian lives, uh, within the the progressive struggle between Christ's kingdom and, and Satan's kingdom, We are those who can rest securely with comfort and with peace because of of Christ and what he has done for us. We are members of Christ's kingdom, and we have a king and a head who has defeated our enemy once for all. He is the one who has subdued us to himself, and he is the one who rules and defends us daily in our Christian lives. And so our daily experience as Christians ought to be that of marked uh, overwhelmingly of comfort and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. But finally, we also ought to be marked by confidence. If Christ truly has defeated Satan, if he has truly bound the strong man, then that means that we as Christians today can live with confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the confidence in our Christian lives that as Paul says in Romans chapter 6, that sin no longer has dominion over us. We can have confidence in the work of the church. That we can have confidence that Satan's kingdom will be destroyed. uh, That the kingdom of grace, the church, will be advanced and established. And that the kingdom of glory will be hastened. And ultimately we can have confidence in our eternal hope. That the Lord Jesus Christ will return. That he will bring all things in subjection and under subjection to him. And that we will be brought into that kingdom of grace at last. And so may we, in hearing these words, rest in these things. May we be marked by a joy, a comfort, and a confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even as we dwell upon this great redemption that Jesus has purchased for us. As we pray together. Our God in heaven, we come before you and give thanks, O Lord, that you are the God of our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, O Lord, we ask that you would cause us daily to cling to Jesus by faith, that we might be joyful Christians, that we might be marked by peace and comfort in Christ. And, O Lord, would you cause us to walk with confidence in Jesus Christ. All this we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.